Guys, we all go through really hard times. I don't think any of us, anyone, has gone through a perfect life. I think at some point, fallen to our knees. And that's okay. Like, it really is okay. But the question is, how on earth do you get back up? Getting back up is the thing that we all need to develop because falling is going to be inevitable. Anytime you go after anything, anything, you're going to fail or fall at some point. You're going to make mistakes. But the question is, how on earth do we become badass and resilient so that we can get back up? Well, today's guest knows exactly what it means to go through hard times, develop unbreakable resilience, and as a result, yes, that's right, she got back up. My girl, Rachel Hollis, has built successful businesses and written multiple best-selling books like Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing. And today, guys, we have a discussion that is no hold barred. We go deep in this super intimate discussion on how the hell you build resilience after heartbreak, how you keep showing up when it's freaking hard, and how to work on yourself when others don't want you to succeed, and how on earth we start listening to our gut, even when we're not exactly sure it's right. Guys, I really hope this episode brings you value. My goal is to create global impact for us women so that we can keep showing up and being the heroes of our own lives. So if this episode did bring you value, please, please, I do request my one ask is to review this, leave a review, rate, share it with your homies. That's such an important thing. Guys, I cannot do this alone. I need you guys. I need all you badasses that are listening right now to reach out to the people in your life that you know needs a boost. Guys, we cannot do this alone. So let's team up, bring in your homies, and let's now start creating a global impact on women. All right, without further ado, my girl, Rachel Hollis. Rachel Hollis, welcome to Women of Impact. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here in person. Finally in person, girl. Yes, yes. Homie, when I think of you, the only word that comes flashing in my mind is resilient. I'll take it. (laughs) It is. So many of us go through hardship, go through difficulties, and whether it's relationships, business, matters of the heart, matters of the mind, and so many of us, when we go through those hardships, including myself, it's hard to get back up. It's hard to take that knock to the face and get back up, lean into who you want to be, and keep going. And girl, you're freaking resilient, and I so want to learn, like, what are the tips and tactics you do so that you show up? every freaking day in your business, in your relationship, in your family. All the things. All the things. Okay, <laughs> we're jumping right in. Um, so I guess probably the biggest reason that I have that is a willingness to look at my past. Okay, so I feel like this is one of those things that everyone talks about, like you're supposed to be strong, you're supposed to be resilient, you're supposed to do these things. And oftentimes we'll read the books or we'll watch the YouTube videos, listen to podcasts to try and learn how to be a certain way. But I think that if we can look at our past, like sort of look historically and find moments where we already were resilient, Mm -hmm. that actually gives us incredible power for how we navigate that in our current life. 
So the reason that I know to do that, honestly, is I had to teach it. Like, I think, I don't know if you feel like this, but when you write a book, create a podcast, if you're going to go give a keynote speech or a conference, um, you have to figure out how to explain the things that you know. And the very first time I did a RISE conference, it was only one day, and I was like, what could I teach people that I know how to do? Because I plan, it was like in that movie, I built it and then hoped they would come. <laughs> but once they said, okay, we'll come, I had no idea what I was gonna teach, literally. You know my best friend Beans, we were just like, let's throw a conference. Like we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> so um, I was like, what could I teach? And I looked at my life and I was like, well, I've been through a lot of shit. I've been through a lot of really hard stuff. So what do I know how to teach? I know how to teach getting through hard things, literally. If I'm an expert at something, I know how to do that. I had a really difficult childhood. Um, uh, my parents' marriage was tumultuous is a nice way to say it. My dad had a very intense temper. Um, my older brother was schizophrenic. He took his own life when I was 14. Um, I had had to overcome and navigate a lot of things. I moved out when I was 17 years old, moved to LA. Um, and I just, quite honestly, my life had been really hard and I didn't know that there, I didn't know there was another way. Like all my friends' lives were hard. I didn't know what it would look like to have a family where everyone was kind and loved each other and like nice. And so I, I don't know when it's your life, you just sort of figure it out. And that's what I had done. And so in looking back, I was like, well, dang, I know how to get through hard things and still believe in myself and still think that a dream could come true and still reach for joy. And yeah, so that's what I started to teach. And when you're trying to figure out how to teach something, you sort of unpack it and you look at it and you're like, what are the things that I know? So it's the best piece of advice I can give anyone because every single person, everyone watching this, listening to this, you, the camera guy, everybody could look at their past and look for things that they had to overcome. And what I always think is like these hard seasons that we get inside of, I always think it's been way worse. It's been way worse. No matter what I go through, I'm like, well, it's not the day that your brother died. Okay, well, it's not the day that um, this hard thing happened or this horrible thing happened. We're not in that. And remember that you navigated that and remember you came out and remember you were stronger. Like that history is what gives me courage in this moment. And I think can give anybody courage no matter what they're going through. Dude, that's so freaking powerful. But as you were talking, I was thinking about how many people are so scared to go back mm. and remember because they've held on to so much emotion that's connected to that event, right? Sh certain shame, certain guilt, yes. certain embarrassment. There's all these feelings that we put on ourselves and that we block the past out so that we don't feel the same thing we felt back then. Right. So how do you start to go back to that without bringing up those same feelings that then make you stuck again? Well, I think you have to let yourself feel all the things. That's what I've learned. And that's scary and that's hard. And, you know, me 10 years ago wouldn't have told you that. Mm -hmm. I would have been like, overcome, rise above, power through, whatever. But what I've learned, you know, I'll be 40 in January. And what I've learned at this point in my life is if you don't process it in the moment, you're going to process it for the next decade or two or three. There is no escaping the emotions of the hard mm -hmm. stuff that we go through, mm -hmm. period. 
Like if you don't process what you're feeling, if you don't allow yourself to feel scared, um, pissed, shamed, all of those things, if you don't allow them to go through you, you're gonna feel them forever and it's gonna take a way harsher toll on your life, on your physical health, on your mental and emotional health, your relationships, all of it. So I've just learned to let myself feel all, the, feel all those things in the moment and sometimes that moment could be weeks or months, but I come out the other side and I really have resolved the way that I feel. I really have gotten through those issues as opposed to, oh, I'm gonna revisit this again mm. and again for the rest of my life. So that's a big one for me is like, let yourself feel that. But also to acknowledge that really, truly no bullshit, every single person makes mistakes, every single person. And we say that, but I feel like the society that we live in tries to make that untrue. Mm. Like, I feel like social media, I feel like our families, friends, in-laws, people want so badly to remind us again and again and again of who we used to be, of the things that we once did, of past mistakes, of mistakes that had nothing to do with us, but oh, remember your mom tried to do this when she, at, when she was your age and look what happened to her. Like, there's so much that goes into it that it makes us believe that we're supposed to be perfect mm -hmm. and we're supposed to get it right every single time. And I just, I refuse to buy into that. It's really painful when something goes wrong or when you have a mistake or when you fall down, obviously that it hurts so much. But I have said, since my first podcast episode, since the very first time I wrote a book, for as long as I've been doing this work, I have said, like, I'm going to get this wrong because I'm a human and I'm trying my best. And when I get it wrong, you're going to see me acknowledge mm. it. You're going to see me stand back up. You're going to see me learn and grow and do better. And that's what, for the rest of my life, that's what's going to happen. But that only happens if we really believe that all human beings should have the chance to mess up and go again. Because if we believe that for everybody, we'll give that to ourselves. Oh God, yes, that is so true. And there's that moment of giving yourself the grace that I don't think many of us do. And I'm, I'm really leaning into that phrase right. so much yeah. because every time I go to beat myself up, I'm like, oh, well, Lisa, you're human, give yourself the grace. Right. And just by saying that phrase, literally give yourself the grace, right. means, oh, you're human, cool. The one thing I'd love to ask is that process that you said, right? Acknowledge it, own it, you're yeah. human, yeah. get back up. It's that falling and getting back up. Um, do you do that for yourself? So I know you said like showing other people, right? Like, hey, look, if I'm doing it, you can too. But how much of that is like, that is what you, that's the recipe you need to make sure that you keep showing up? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the circumstance, the season, what's going on, what has happened. Certainly as a mom of four, and I work and I support my family, like I don't have the option of just not working anymore. I don't mm. have the option of just being like, all right, I'm good. I'm gonna go live on an island and process this pain for the next two years. I think like most parents, most people, even if you don't have kids, I think every single person has someone in their life who's counting on them. And so oftentimes those other people will become a catalyst for me to rise again. And I'll rise again before I have the 
uh, the wherewithal before I have the emotion mm. before it because it's like okay we have to at least in some capacity we have to whether it's like literally like physically standing back up and going again um, you know coming out the other side of a divorce with four kids was so difficult because you're not just holding space for your own pain you're also helping them through something and in those instances when the kids were with me I didn't have the option of going and crawling in bed and pulling the covers mm -hmm. over my head because I have four little kids who are counting on me to be strong and I feel really adamant about that because I know everybody has their own story and their own way of dealing with things, but I had memories from my childhood that were very painful of feeling like my parents didn't try and be strong for the kids. Mm. And so for me, it was very important, like, damn, even if I don't feel like I have all the answers, I haven't done enough therapy at that point, I hadn't, you know, processed all these things yet, I could at least physically go through the motions, literally get out of bed, take a shower, make their breakfast, make their lunch, get them to school. They're gonna go to school. Okay, I'm gonna go have a good cry for a long time mm -hmm. and then get myself back together before I pick them up so that, because that's what I needed as a little kid and so that's what I wanted to give them. So I think oftentimes the other people in our lives can be a really powerful catalyst. And there's a study that says um, that women are terrible negotiating for themselves and like salaries mm -hmm. or jobs or whatever but when they negotiate for others, they're actually better than men. So women will are stronger negotiators when they are fighting for someone else. Yeah. So I actually think it's a really powerful tool for women to, if you can't find it in yourself to stand up and go again, who needs you to be strong right now? That's very powerful. And I kind of think though that there's like that almost like like anything, if you do it too much, now you're not doing it for yourself, right? right. Now you keep getting up for everybody else. Right. And when do you start breaking that cycle, especially if it's a relationship? Right. Because I've heard you talk about codependency and you know, we've spoken many yeah. times about just independency and codependency. Yeah. And, but where do you then break that cycle yeah. where you are now being dependent on your kids to get you out, emotionally right. get you out of bed right. or work to emotionally get yeah. you out of bed versus I'm healing, so right. I'm getting out of bed. Yeah, I mean, I think with, for me at least, that has been a really powerful component of just getting back up. Mm. Not the whole mm. process, because I think you can get up for other people, but ultimately any healing work is always and only ever going to be for yourself. Because we all know there are plenty of parents in the world right now who got up again because the kids needed them to, but never actually did the work yeah. that needed to be done for them. And I hope that as we get older, we start to not want to live anymore with the pain, with the result of the trauma that we experienced when we were earlier, that we want to heal from those things. And I think the most difficult part about healing, and I've learned this a lot over the last two years, is that solo work. Mm. Nobody, it doesn't matter, you could have the most supportive partner in the entire world, the greatest family, all the resources, all the money, you could have all of it. But that is solo work, that is you by yourself, and it's fucking hard. It is so hard to go to therapy every single week. It is so hard to think that you've gotten past something and then it pops up again. It is so hard to feel like you're repeating past mistakes or that you're 
you know, continuing generational trauma or, or any of it, it's solo work. And ultimately, everybody in your life benefits from it, but that is like you by yourself in a desert facing you. Mm-hmm. And it's freaking brutal. So what is it that makes you keep going? Because to your point, most people don't do the work because it's that hard. Yeah. Because facing yourself, facing maybe the mistakes you've made, maybe you know, facing certain emotions that you've had. I've heard you talk about you've, you know, in looking back, you kind of like were ignoring certain signs. Mm-hmm. That a lot of us we ignore them out of um, protection, out right. of emotional protection, right. and we don't even give ourselves the space to ask the question right. about what that sign may mean. Right. So how do you start to assess that and self-soothe all at the same time so you can get through the work? Because yeah. I think that that's the hard part is that you start to emotionally feel disrupted as you're starting to do the work. It feels very uncomfortable. It, you maybe start to look inwards. Oh my God, maybe this is my full blame. I do that myself. So I'm speaking for myself. But you have to get past it to then do the work to then see the results and be able to move on. But that moment of disruption where people are like, yeah, this is too difficult. Yeah. What on earth makes you going back to Miss Freaking Resilient? Right. What makes you keep going? What is that thing? Even when you don't feel it, because I don't think you're abnormal. I think that you're very human and that you just think in a way that allows you to keep going even when you're in pain, even when you're hurt, even when you're feeling all the feels, you keep going. And so if we can bottle that up and give it to everyone yeah. like that. It's this magic right yeah. there. Yeah, my greatest core value is evolution. It's, it's my guiding light, it's my guiding principle, it is everything to me, is I want to become a better person. Mm. I think that's why we're all here. And I think that a better person to you looks very different than it does to me, than it does to him, than it does to anybody who's listening or watching this. And that's what I think is so beautiful about life is that we're all on this individual journey and we can all coexist in this desire to become a better version of ourselves, even though that looks like a million different things. So for me, I, if I'm calling that shot and I'm saying that what I want most is to evolve, what I want is to get to the end of my life and be like, fuck yeah, man, I didn't leave anything unturned. I didn't you know, I didn't leave anything behind. I didn't keep stuff with me that wasn't serving me anymore. I became the very best version of myself. If that's what I want, then that's gonna be painful because change is always painful. Everything that we wanna grow or make different, if you look at nature, if you look at our own body, when we break a muscle down to make it stronger, all of it is going to come at some cost. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, it's deeply painful, but what I found is that the, the results that you get, the rewards that you get, it's exponential growth. It's not slowly you know, going a little mm. bit up in the graph. It's like a hockey stick. <laughs> you guys have experienced this too. It's like you're willing to push yourself into deeply uncomfortable situations, and that looks like different things at different times, but because you've put yourself into such a big discomfort, you also are experiencing such greater results, such a greater, you know, in business terms, mm-hmm. such a greater return on what you've just done. So it's not for everybody. And I can't tell you how many times I've been like crying and like, this is hard and what am I, why is this so difficult? And then I'll be like, oh, right. 
Because you said that this is your greatest value. What do you do about excuses? Because as you were saying that, I was like, I totally hear you. Like, A, it's, um, if you've experienced it once, if you've gone through real hardship and you see the hockey stick improvement in yourself, you then can use that as an example for future moments that you're going through. But what if, A, you don't have that moment as proof of concept, right? if you will, how would you start to orient? And then also the excuses part, because I think so many of us, part of excuses is they feel very real to you. Yes. And, and there are times where they are real. That, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, in I, those moments, how do you not use an excuse to be like, well, that's why I'm not there, though. It's not right. because of, I'm not trying hard. Right. I, it's funny because there are times in my life where I was making an excuse. I'm sure there's certainly something in my life right at this moment I'm making an excuse mm-hmm. about. But it is necessary for the other parts to work in this moment. I really believe, I'm sure Tom Bilyeu would disagree, but I really do (laughs) believe that every single one of us is doing the best that we can with the tools, the resources, the access we have in this moment. A year from now or five years from now, hopefully those tools, resources, access, hopefully it'll be different. Mm. But right now, even people in your life who are awful, right? You maybe have some family members or maybe people watch, you got a terrible parent and they did these crappy things to you, even in that instance, they still are just doing the best that they can in that moment. Their best sucks. Their (laughs) best is horrible sometimes, but that's what, with the way that their brain is working, Mm. with the way that they've been raised, with the pain that they have, the trauma they have. If I want to believe that I'm doing the best that I can in this moment, then I have to give that grace to everybody else as well. And that means that there are times where I probably am making an excuse because that's what I've got. But I will tell you, at least for me, I don't know how this works for other people. I just get to a point in my life where I call bullshit on myself. And I couldn't have called bullshit on myself a moment before I did in that spot, right? Like, but I just get to these moments where I don't know why in that exact moment, it's like a, a, a switch. It just flips in the other direction and I never go back. Give me an example. Um, This is so stupid or maybe it's not, but this is what popped into my head. Um, My body does not process gluten well. It just doesn't. It makes me feel like shit. I have crazy inflammation, crazy bloating. It has affected my body for years. I felt bad, pain, all the stuff, everything that you would read but I really love bread. (laughs) You can't have gluten-free bread. I know, but, well, okay, Okay. I'll get there. But like, I love pasta, I love crackers, I love chips, I love all of these things. And the thing is, here's my excuse. I eat so clean in every other regard, like fruits, veggies, lean proteins, like I'm so healthy, supplements, all the things. So in my brain, I'm like, yeah, we're gonna have this, cause like, it's fine, you're so, like, you gotta have a vice, right? This was me for years. But I feel that in my body and I feel that in brain fog. Mm. Like I get crazy brain fog. And given what we do for a living, you can't, you can't have, you can, but it's, the work's going to be shitty. The book's not going to be, be as good. The interview's not going to be as good. Like you're just not going to be on it. Mm-hmm. So forever, I've just made this excuse for myself. And it's crazy because I'm feeling pain in my body, but I'm doing it anyway. And then I, I was at a yoga class one day and I was, you know, in yoga, you're moving around obviously. And I was just 
feeling the pain of like whatever I'd eaten the day before. And it wasn't even like a celebration or whatever. I just had like eaten whatever I wanted. And I just remember looking in the mirror and I was like, we're done. We don't do this anymore. Like, this is not who you are. Like, this is the antithesis of everything you would want for people you love, of everything you would talk about on your podcast. If someone told you that they were experiencing inflammation and pain in their body because they kept eating the same thing, you'd be like, dude, stop eating that. That's so dumb. <laughs> but I'm, do I'm making the excuse myself. So with gluten, I, I just had to, like, stop. And I feel so much better. And I, every once in a while, there'll be something like the most amazing homemade pasta or something where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I'll feel it the next day, but at least I'm conscious in that moment. But so what about the times though, where we don't even realize it's an excuse. It's really just that we haven't done the work. And what I mean by that is trust is a huge freaking thing. And when we're talking about, especially like even in relationships, so being resilient, overcoming things, when someone has like, I can only, take it from my perspective. If Tom broke my heart, I literally, I just tell him to his face, if you ever cheat on me, I trust you so much. I need, uh, literally I stare him in the eyes and I'm like, I trust you so much. You realize that if you ever cheated on me, you would not only obviously break my heart, right. which remember that, yeah, <laughs> but you would destroy my belief in trust in humanity. Wow. Because I felt it so true to my core, and as mine and Tom's relationship grew, that was one thing I was a little protective over, was how much can I trust him? Especially when you wanna be vulnerable with someone, right? It can be really difficult. Yeah. And I've had an ex-boyfriend that was just mean, so I was very reluctant originally to open up to Tom. Then as we started to be together for long, it was the trust issue, and so now I've given myself over, so much so that I hashtag joke don't really joke. If someone was to text me and say, Hey, Lisa, I just saw Tom walk down the street with his arm around a woman. I would go, oh, it must have been a friend. I wonder if it was his sister. I wonder if it was a fan that was crying. Like, there would be no space in my mind where right. I would go to, oh, my God, he's cheating. Now, right. cheating isn't even, like, lying and things like that, everything. Right. So trusting to me is so imperative that if it was ever broken, I honestly don't know how I would heal from it. And I think part of me would just switch off the healing part. Mm. And I would just be bitter and I would just use that as an excuse of why I never had a successful relationship again. Right. How the hell do you rebuild yourself, become resilient in right. general, to then build back things like trust, um, independence, um, things like that, so that you can go into a relationship without excuses of yeah. why it's not gonna work? Such a good question. I've learned that I don't have to worry as much about trusting a partner if I trust myself completely. Because if I am in touch with my intuition, my body, my spirit, like, this will tell us. We freaking know. I would challenge anybody who's listening to this to think of someone in their life where it went really wrong. A business relationship, a romantic relationship, a friendship. This is my favorite thing to do. Like, think of someone. You don't okay. have to say who, but think of someone. Mm -hmm. And think of when it went wrong. Mm-hmm. And then think of when you had the first red flag that something was wrong. Hmm. It's never the same moment. It's never, never. the same moment. Our so something in us tells us, and we don't know what it is. There's a really old book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker, which is, um, he was a private security guy and he's talking about how important fear is. 
But in that book, he says, humans are the only animal that will sense that something is wrong and keep walking towards it. And women do this all the time because we do not want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want to be a bad girl. We don't, you, this trusting your intuition and trusting your gut, we have been so separated from ourselves, from our bodies for like a thousand reasons. Mm-hmm. I could talk for five hours about this. But if you can learn to trust this feeling inside of you, it will tell you. I look back now and I'm thinking of like all of these things that I'm like, your body was literally screaming at you that things are not okay. And this is like in business and life, like throughout my adult life, Mm -hmm. I can think of moments where I'm like, oh yeah, your gut was trying to tell you, oh, it was manifesting as this crazy thing or this crazy thing in your system because you wouldn't listen. So I feel like, yes, I've learned to, um, trust is earned. It's not given immediately anymore, Mm -hmm. but more than anything, if I have trust with myself, I feel like my inner knowing will always tell me if something's not okay. And if I can just learn to listen to it, it won't take as long next time. All right, do you have a strategy on how you're training yourself to listen to it? Well, so I think in order to do that, you have to get still. And I I mean, every podcast on the planet, including y'all's, would talk to people about meditation, right? Is to quiet the mind, is to listen to that inner voice. I think that when I first started hearing people talk about meditation, I was really overwhelmed by it because Mm -hmm. my brain races. And so the idea of trying to sit for an hour in like crisscross applesauce on the floor and like meditate, I, I just was like, this is too much. So I think it's important to find a way to quiet your mind in a way that works for you Mm. and to understand that that is a practice. And if you keep coming back to it, you will get better. So now I actually can meditate for like 20 minutes. That's impressive. I know, right. But in the beginning it was like 10 seconds. I'd be like, I, what did I need to get at Whole Foods today? Like I just clicked. It's nails on a chalkboard for me, meditation. It is, but you can find things that are meditative Mm. to you. Mm -hmm. So one of the greatest meditations in my life is running. That's Mm. not for everybody. But for me, that movement and the repetitive nature of doing that again and again quiets my mind. So anything that can quiet your mind so that you can listen, listen to what is going on, because I believe that our body is always talking to us and I'm more of a hippie than you are. I believe that guides, angels, I believe there are so many things around that are trying to tell you this person is not okay, Mm. or this situation is a red flag or whatever, you know. But if you're racing from one thing to the next, if you're constantly bombarded with music, if you're constantly, Mm. you're listening to a podcast, we love our podcast, but if you're doing all these things and never allowing your thoughts to come in, you're not going to even be able to differentiate what is that intuition and what is just. If you have big, beautiful, incredible, audacious dreams for your online business, but you actually lack the confidence in your ability to then actually make it happen. And I promise you, my homie, and I say this with all the love and compassion in my heart, your company will never get where you want it to go. I've been there, guys. In Growing Quest, I had to face myself every day. I didn't know what I was doing. And I really wish that I had Shopify at the time. Because when you choose to grow your business with Shopify, you have everything you need to make your dreams a reality. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you at 
every stage of your business, from launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with their incredible magic AI, award-winning customer service, and the internet's best converting checkout, you literally have everything you need to make all of your amazing business's dreams a reality. And that's exactly why I adore and love Shopify. If you're serious about growing your freaking badass business and you want to build your confidence and have faith, then Shopify is here for you. So go over right now and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase guys. Again, that is go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. One more time, that's shopify.com slash Lisa. You won't regret it. I'm going to be utterly honest. There is little more damaging to your confidence than feeling weak and helpless and just struggling to get the care that you actually need from your doctor. And trust me, guys, I unfortunately speak from experience because when I was struggling with crippling, crippling gut issues about nine years ago now, it took me years, years to find a doctor that not only could I connect with, but a doctor that actually would listen, wouldn't gaslight me and actually take my words and my experience as truth so that they could actually eventually help me heal and not just to give me another freaking pill and then push me out the door. But now, my homie, you don't have to struggle to find the right doctor for you anymore. And that's thanks to ZocDoc. ZocDoc is an absolutely free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and then instantly book appointments with them online. And with ZocDoc, you can actually filter by insurance, location and specialities to find the perfect fit for you, not for your friend, not for anyone else, but for you. Plus, on top of that, you can actually go and read verified reviews from real patients to find the doctor that you can actually trust. And typically, wait times for booking an appointment are days, not weeks. Because let's face it, when you're sick, you need to see someone right now. So my homie, do not, I repeat, do not neglect your health. Instead, go over to ZocDoc dot com slash Lisa and download the ZocDoc app for absolutely free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Lisa. ZocDoc dot com slash Lisa. Noise. Mm, I love that. Now I think about what is it about gut intuition that we keep saying we keep ignoring? All right, well, think about it. If your kid you start to train yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So you sense something, you see a micro expression in some, someone, and then three weeks later, they're extremely aggressive and you see them flip out on someone. And so now over time, as you get older, you start to make the association between the gut feelings that you're sensing and then what's actually happening. Right, oh, I'm so excited we're talking about this. Oh, keep going, sorry, no, no, no. So, just, so when I just think about, oh, it's all been a training. So the only thing that we're doing now is we're ignoring the training that we've had. Yes. Well, Jump here's in. the yes. other thing is I have, I've been seeing this so much in the last few days and now I feel like I've been seeing it because we're supposed to have this conversation. So I think, yes, training, but more than anything, I think we're trained out of trusting oh, ourselves. Oh, yes. So I just saw this yesterday. So I had to go get blood work done and I was waiting to get blood work done and the fam- there was a family there ahead of me. And they had two little kids and um, there was a little, I walked into a waiting room, no one was in the waiting room, but this little four-year-old boy. And I was like, what is going on? So I'm a mom. So I'm like, I can hear the parents in the room with the phlebot- phlebotomist and 
his sister is screaming bloody murder because she's having to have blood work done. Obviously, she's little. She's scared. It hurts. Same girl, but I'm not allowed to scream. Um, so I sit down with this little boy, and I'm, like, showing him, um, you know, I don't, YouTube Kids is an app that you can get. Um, and there's these videos where, like, people make dominoes fall over. Just It's very zen, Lisa. I feel like okay. you might vibe it. So I'm just, like, showing this little boy because this little girl's screaming, and I'm trying to, like, distract him from the screaming. And then I hear the parents and the nurse, because the little girl's very upset, and it was a lot. I'm not going to lie. It was very intense. Everyone was like, dear Lord. But they kept saying, it doesn't hurt. You're fine. It doesn't hurt. You're making it worse. It doesn't hurt. They kept telling her that, and I went through this whole thing. I got my blood worked on. I went and got in the car, and I was, like, almost in tears telling my boyfriend, like, what had happened. Because something about that bothered me so much. Because how often, this happens to all kids, but especially little girls, how often are we gaslighting little girls and telling them things that doesn't hurt, you're not hurt, you're fine, it's not scary, it's this. It's, our kids are telling us how they're feeling. And there are ways to talk about that, to help them unpack it, to help them understand. But how often do adults tell a child that what they're feeling is not what they're feeling, which is the definition of gaslighting. When you say to someone, you did this and it hurt me, or I I feel scared, or I feel anxious, and the other person is like, no, you're not. That's not what you're feeling. That's not what you're thinking. That's gaslighting. When you are telling someone you do it enough so that they don't trust their own thought process anymore. And we do this with little kids all the time. I grew up in uh, the Pentecostal church. And in that church, it was very important. I'm not sure why. But all the women had fabulous hair. Weird. But it was a thing. Uh, So all the women had fabulous hair, which means that all of the girls had to have fabulous hair. And my sisters and I all had very long hair down past our butts. And my mom would do these elaborate braids and these whole thing. It happens in quite a few different Mm. uh, religious things. I have the most tender head, Lisa. Like, if you try to brush my hair right now, I would probably start crying. Still to this day, I'm almost 40, a very tender head. And I remember my mom every single day, and she would do our hair more than once because you had to look perfect at all times. So it would be like morning and afternoon. And I remember like my whole childhood every freaking day bawling, bawling because it hurt so bad. And my mom saying, this doesn't hurt. You're fine. This doesn't hurt. Because she was frustrated or she was annoyed or maybe she thought it really didn't hurt or maybe she thought I was being dramatic. Whatever the case is, How often do we do this little girl so that you go into your adolescence, you go into teen years, adulthood, you don't know how to trust yourself. You know, it's like that stupid shit that they still tell little girls where it's like, this boy punched me, he pulled my hair. Oh, he must like you. (laughs) Oh, He likes you. So that a little girl learns that if a boy likes you, he's mean to you and that's okay. Like these mixed signals are crazy. It's no wonder that you get to your adulthood and you don't know which way's up. You don't know how to trust. Think of, I know that people watching this will have those memories from childhood where someone made you feel weird. You know, some, an uncle or you went to church and there was like, so, and you just got a weird feeling, but you were taught to be respectful. You were taught, don't you, you know, be Hug a good that girl. creepy uncle. Exactly, exactly. Like this is so important to me when I had kids. My kids do not have to do anything that they don't want to do 
with their own body. Mm. And it's really interesting for grandparents who are from an older generation because they'll say to my daughter who's five, like, oh, come give me a hug. And she just, someday she wants to give a hug, someday she doesn't. And I'm like, no, we don't. She's not feeling it today. And grandparents are like, what? I'm leaving for the airport. I'm not going to see you again for three months. Like, come give me a hug. And I'm like, no, thank you. Um, we're trying to teach her that she has autonomy over her own body. And if she doesn't feel like she wants to do that, then she's allowed to say no. But do you think we got that in the 80s? <laughs> no, no way. So if people are feeling disconnected, just understand that there's a greater reason why. There's a much greater reason why. And now that I've pointed it out to you, now that like we're talking about it, I would love people who watch this or listen to this to note, just start to notice how often you see people gaslighting others. Because if you can begin to notice it in society and culture, you'll see it when it's happening to you. And it doesn't mean that you have to be aggressive or mean or whatever. It just means that you can stand up for your own feelings and what is actually true and authentic to you. Because I think that little voice inside of us stops talking when it's been ignored for mm -hmm. 20 or 30 years. So the way that you get that voice to trust again is that you start to listen to it in little ways like, ooh, I feel, um, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna park over here. I don't know why, I just like feel a little weird. I'm gonna park over here. Uh, just, you're never probably going to know, God willing, you're never gonna know why you felt like you shouldn't go into business with that person, go on that date, go in that parking garage. Like you're never gonna know why if you listen to that feeling, but trust that there was a reason you were guided to somewhere else. Oh my God, dude, that was so powerful. And as you're talking, it's like the brain, it wants, right? So it's like, especially if it's like a date, it's like you want, like maybe on paper, this this guy, he's handsome and he's great. Right. Oh, he ticks all the boxes. Right. So you go on that date because you really want to. You have yep. every sincere hope and dream and desire and you go there and you get the gut feeling, but you're shutting the gut feeling down because your brain wants it so badly that it's telling you to ignore the signals that your body's giving. Yes, yes, and I think, I believe that our body will manifest all these things in different ways. I think it comes out in physical pain. Mm -hmm. I think it comes out in ailments. I think that the longer you don't listen to what your body is trying to tell you, the worse it's going to get. Um, so again, it just sort of comes back to that slow down, listen to what it is, listen to that intuition. And I think that if you begin to do it, you will start to not just hear the don't do that. Mm. You'll start to hear that. Oh my God, do this, oh, do yeah. this. <clears throat> this is the one, like this is the person to talk to. Mm. This is the person who's gonna have the contact that you need to take your business to mm. the next level. You have a weird feeling that you should go to a specific coffee shop and like work on your pitch that day. And then you overhear a conversation that gives you this idea that you turn into something else. When you learn to listen to that, I believe we are never guided incorrectly if you're listening to true wisdom inside yourself. Oh God, that's so powerful. <clears throat> Two things. One, as you were given that example of the body, I started to think, oh, the little girl screaming. I started to remember. So when I was four years old, <clears throat> I got salmonella poisoning. No one knew what salmonella was back wow. then. So they just thought, they were like, I have no idea what was wrong with her. Right. So they put me in a glass cubicle in the hospital. Oh God. And I have a very, very vivid memory of sitting down and crying. I don't even know, I think they were trying to give me medicine. And I remember being a glass, all that was in that room was like a metal bunk bed and like a metal toilet. Because How they scary. Because they literally had no idea what was wrong with me. And I remember crying. 
And I remember, I so remember this. The nurse is like, come on, come on, you're, you're okay. Look at that boy. So there was like a boy in the next glass cubicle next to me. And he wasn't crying. He was older than me. I was like four. And he was like seven or something. And they're like, look, see, he's not crying. He's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. And as you were talking, I was like, oh my God, could that potentially be why I've ignored my gut for so long? Because especially because the salmonella is in my gut, I don't know if it's like, the, sub, the subliminal messages that they were telling me about the pain I had in my gut, is that like led into why for 20 years 100%. I ignored that I had gut problems? 100%. In fact, in sort of spiritual thought process, which we'll get you over to that side eventually, <laughs> um, the gut is the, is the seat of all mm -hmm. your intuition. You know, you have a gut feeling or mm -hmm. you didn't trust your gut. And it's also where our immune system comes from, yeah. right? As you well know, like when this gets destroyed, freaking everything is out of whack. So, so much like even if you are, learn about chakras, the energy centers in the body, uh, when you talk about solar plexus or what's happening here, energetically, this is where creativity comes from. This is where power comes mm. from. So when you begin to ignore those things and they energetically go stagnant, like when you don't pay attention or when you, oh, there's nothing wrong with this, it creates so many horrible problems because you didn't trust your gut. Mm. So it has to be, that has to be because knowing then what would happen later on in your life, see, I think everything is connected. Mm. Everything always is connected. And it's why this looking back thing is so powerful for me because I, I will look back, oh my, okay, I see mm -hmm. why, I even can see why that moment of someone telling a little girl that it didn't hurt, I understand why that was so upsetting to me because I can think of times in my own childhood where they were like, you're fine, you're fine. Like I was always expected to be fine and okay and strong and powerful and all of these things no matter what was going on at home. So for me, I'm like, oh, I know why this is upsetting. But I bet if you unpack that, you wouldn't find one thing that was the result of that. You'd find 50 because it's like an onion. And the stuff, especially early childhood trauma, that shit is with us forever unless we actively like exercise the demons to get them out so that you can learn to be like, oh, this is what's showing up right mm -hmm. now. Do you know IFS? Uh, integrated Family Systems. Yes, um, I've heard of it. Uh, there's a new book, which I have not read yet. Okay, I'm gonna send you his, he did a pot, he's a doctor, and he did an interview with Tim Ferriss that is so good, I will send it to you. You'll die. It's such, you're like, damn it, why didn't I think of this podcast? It's so good. So in the podcast interview, Tim does a session with him, mm. which is so vulnerable and so beautiful and so helpful. You'll love it. But even if it's not IFS, learning to understand which age of you is showing up in a moment. Mm -hmm. So four-year-old Lisa, who is in a glass box, wow, I feel like we could unpack this for hours, <laughs> like who's in a glass box, who's scared, who's alone, there's like you know, everything's stark, there's nothing that feels comfortable and this nurse is telling her and like that little girl is still in you. Every age we've ever been is still in us yeah. and those ages show up yeah. and shake shit up in ways that are not helpful because she's still there. 
And what is one of the most profound and powerful things that I have learned over the last couple of years is to just ask, whoa, what age just showed up right now? The funny thing is, as you say, as you said that, I've actually done that. Yeah. In turn, just almost yeah. like by myself. Yeah. And I don't know if I told you the story, but when my when a literary agent first approached Tom for me to write a book, so she pinged Tom and she's like, hey, would Lisa want, I really want, you know, would Lisa be interested in writing a book? So Tom comes into my office and I'm sitting there working. He's like, oh, baby, you just got another phone. I was like, oh, that's nice. And I go back to work. And he's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, it's a book deal. So yeah. I just offered it. And I turned to him and I was like, well, who would buy a book from me? Now, this is a year ago, right? Yeah. And so in that moment, literally, I paused and I was like, the 14 year old she's still, still there <laughs> I literally said it out loud yeah. and I said it to Tom I was like oh the 14 year old yeah. and so in that moment I think it's super freaking powerful yeah. of identifying what is right. showing up right. and then going back to I've done the work so that I can then when she shows up I can give myself the grace right. and I literally right. go bless her yeah. she's still insecure yeah. she still yeah. worries about yeah. what other people are going to think about yeah. her so I totally hear the power of that I've never done it far back though to like four years yeah. old. Yeah. Oh, I have a, I, the only reason I have not recommended this person for you is because she's so woo woo that you'd be like, <laughs> Rachel, what are you doing? But I mean, she'll go like, hmm, let's talk about when you were in utero. Literally. And it's so wild, dude, because you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember. And she'll be like, oh, let's, but let's think about yeah. it. Yeah. Because that's what's coming, because she's intuiting, right? So she'll be like, that's what's mm. coming up for me right now. And then you'll be like, well, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess um, in my instance, when this came up in, in the story, um, my mom didn't want a fourth kid. I mean, four kids is a lot, right? So she had three, that was a lot. It was so many things and she was already struggling in a lot of different ways and my mm. dad really wanted a fourth baby. He felt like, his story is like, oh, he felt like if we didn't have this fourth baby, then um, you know, someone would always be missing. And so I'm thinking, oh, what must that have felt like for my mom to not want something and in a lot of ways not have the same access or resources that I have as a mother or the help or the means and then sort of feel like she needed to have this baby because my dad wanted it and that baby was me. So, you know, even from a scientific standpoint, a baby is absorbing what its mother is going through or feeling and not to say my mom loves me so much, she's my biggest fan, like all those mm -hmm. things, but that was a very real feeling that would have permeated my entire time inside of her. So like, yeah, when someone asked that question, I'm like, okay, damn, yeah, there was stuff going on when my mom was pregnant with me. But what I love about sessions with her is she's, she's asking questions and kind of guiding, but she's not giving you answers. You're literally, she'll be like, I just, I have this feeling like, let's talk about when you were seven. And you're like, nothing happened when I was seven. And then she's like, just sit with it for a minute. And then you're like, okay, when I was seven, and when, and then something will come. That was just in me, right? Mm. So it's just sort of a different way to approach healing, and at least for me to understand um, why I'm doing some of the things that I'm doing. I think that is so powerful. And so, a, I think it it can lead into relationships, what you've learned from a child, what you've seen your parents Absolutely. do. Absolutely. And that was one thing that both Tom and I come from divorced parents, but I was around seven, eight years old when my yeah. parents divorced and Tom was an adult. And so even just those two experiences though allowed us to come together and have a very honest and open conversation about 
what marriage looks like to us, right. what type of marriage we want. So you can take those ideas and deliberately use it as a powerful tool yeah. to have to improve. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Like even we just had this situation the other day where I was telling my boyfriend a story about something that had happened to me and he got so mad, so mad, not at me, at like the story I had told him. And I felt sort of taken aback because I could just tell he was like head in his hands. He was like so frustrated. And I was like, I should have told him that story because I didn't mean whatever. And he's like, no, baby, I'm not mad at you. I just like hate hearing the stuff that you've been through. And we finished our coffee, sort of went our separate ways. And about an hour later, he came in and he's like, hey, I just I want to tell you like that wasn't about you. But I realized that it reminded me of exactly what my mom had gone through after she got divorced and like it just it it reminded me of something and I just hated like it was a little boy version of me that just showed up and got really mad but it wasn't about you it was more mm. just so having those tools because before I would have been like oh, I did something wrong I shouldn't have right. said I shouldn't have been that vulnerable I shouldn't have told that truth what I, I would have made it about me and to understand why is a totally different way of being in a relationship that's so beautiful when you're aware of uh, aware of how to communicate, aware of the tools that are to your um, disposal, and then having someone that you can trust to be open with that communication. Mm -hmm. But what about the opposite, where we've learned a bad lesson? We've learned a lesson that we think from childhood that we then bring into our adulthood that we don't go, oh, I see that, I don't wanna do that, so I'm gonna change. Instead, it's the opposite. Oh, I see that, so I'm gonna be it. And the perfect example I'd love to give is growing up, my mum was borderline anorexic. So I saw her from, after my parents divorced, I saw her eat basically one yogurt and a pit of bread a day. That was it. That was her wow. food. And I remember as a kid seeing that, and I would ask her, like, oh, why aren't you in dinner with us? And she's like, oh no, I'm fine. And I remember that linking in my mind with like how people look and that people were giving her accolades for how she was looking. So the attention between how you look and what you eat was very tied together for me. Mm. So by the time I got to 16, I had very low self-esteem because I was bullied and picked on for my looks, but I was skinny. And so at 16, that was the thing that I was praised for. And at 16, of course, my hormones change. I start to fill out. I'm no longer praised for it. So I start adopting a very bad behavior with food. Mm -hmm. Take that into my adulthood, that's the, the backtrack and the backstory of why I have such bad health problems. Now, I don't blame my mum. Mm. I've looked and I've looked in my past, I've acknowledged where it's come from, and I go, my mum just did the best she could yes. to what you've said. Yes. But now as a kid, I learned the lesson, but now I'm an adult and I don't want to hold on to, but I learned it as a kid and that's why I'm like it. It's like, no, Lisa, you're an adult now. You know that the food, that you, the way that you, your relationship with food isn't healthy. It's caused you the gut issues that you've had and now you, you, you have the, the power to make that change. Mm -hmm. But so many of us, I've heard you talk about emotional eating. So many of us tie food with our history, with, with what we've seen, with let's say we were, um, we've been you know, emotionally abused and then someone gives us ice cream. So mm -hmm. now we tie the hurt and the pain to ice cream making you feel good. Yep. And we bring that so much into our adulthood. Yep. Please talk to me about emotional eating. I've heard you be so beautifully eloquent. Um, 
and I've just experienced it myself, so many women have, yeah. and how detrimental our bad habits and our unhealthy ways of seeing food affects how we show up, affects how we see ourselves. And then as a result, our food affects our hormones, it affects how we think. If I don't eat and I come on set, I will start to like lose my words right. in the middle of an interview. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd love to just like pick apart the power of food, how we see food, how it impacts us. You mentioned that you're anemic, obviously yeah. like the Yeah. Impact. So it's so interesting because that was the final moment that I watched yesterday with the little kids and the getting their blood work done. It was as soon as that little girl finished, her mom took her outside and bought her a chocolate bar. Mm. And I was like, now that mom doing the best she can. Like, I don't, I get it. I don't judge it. I am positive I've done that myself. But I was like, this is where we get it. We learn very early that food is a reward. In that instance, that food is a coping mechanism, that it's gonna make us feel better, that it's the carrot at the end of the stick or the light at the end of the tunnel. And the reason that we get that is because we are raised by people who also don't have the tools. So what is so beautiful about this generation of parents and the ones that follow is that we are parenting in a generation with so much information that our parents did not have. Mm. You and I could pick up a phone right now and find out any answer that we need for anything we have going on in our lives and our parents didn't have that. So in your instance, that was your mom's story, right? And I heard once, we are either a reaction to or a reflection of the people who raised us. Ooh. We are either a reaction to or a, or a reflection of the people who raised us. So you saw your mom cope with food in that way. I learned that food was what you used to make yourself feel better. You know, there were so many hard challenges in my childhood. And then if I go back one generation, if I give my parents grace, I look at their childhoods and I'm like, oh my God, I can't even imagine. If I think my childhood was hard, they had it 10,000 times harder. So they both learned that in no matter what was happening, food would make you feel better. Mm -hmm. And so they gave that to us. And I mean, food was a reward, food was my friend, food was celebration, food was all of those things. And I came into my adult life with that, right? And I don't ever really remember it being an issue. I wasn't healthy at all. Like I didn't know how to be healthy. And when I say healthy, I think in terms of um, eating foods that are a blessing to your body, eating things that are nutritious, drinking water, getting enough sleep. That's what I mean by mm. healthy, not thin. Um, I had no idea any anything having to do with that because that's not how I was raised. We deep fry food, we cover it in gravy, we add cheese, we like some bacon. My family's Southern on both sides. Like that's just what it was. And for me, I came into my early adult life just like eating that way. And I definitely wasn't in shape. I never exercised um, at my heaviest. I was about 60 pounds heavier than I am right now, which I'm 5'2", and I have a small frame. So from my, from my perspective, I don't give a fuck what people weigh. I'm so sick of weight being used to destroy people, control people, make them buy stuff, make them feel terrible. Mm. I do not give a fuck what anyone weighs. But for me, if I had 60 pounds to my current frame, 
what that did to my physical body, the pain that I experienced in my physical body, the lack of energy, my sleep was off. I, I was 20 and I just, it was, I am a thousand times healthier at 40 than I was at 20, a thousand times. I couldn't have walked a mile, let alone run a marathon. Like it's crazy. That being said, it didn't really become an issue for me until I had my first baby. Because then, if you liked food before, try some pregnancy hormones on for size. <laughs> Cause then we went ham. Then it was like, what can I, what, what can't I eat? Well, I mean, let's go. I was so sick. And the thing that made me feel better was like chicken strips and vanilla milkshakes. So I went there every day, all the time. And that's when I gained the most weight. And I still didn't care cause I was pregnant, whatever. I thought this is what we do when we're pregnant. Then I had the baby and I didn't, you know, he didn't weigh 50 pounds. So that was really weird for me. Cause I was like, what is all this? <laughs> Um, You're like, what? Yeah, and because I had no idea how to eat healthfully or how to exercise mm -hmm. or any of it, I had no idea what to do. I had no idea how to make my body just go back to something I recognized. And that's when emotional eating, I definitely had it as a child, but that's when it really got out of control. And for me, it's a loop. So it looks like experience shame of some kind, right? Uh, so I'm experiencing shame or I'm stressed out or something's bad. And then I'm like, oh, I'm gonna comfort myself by eating a bag of Oreos. I'm gonna comfort myself by eating all these chips or going and getting Taco Bell or you know, doing whatever. And then I would go do it and I would feel really good for a moment. For as long as it took me to eat the food that I was binging on in that moment. And then the second that I finished eating, I would feel shame. I would feel intense shame for doing what I just did. And then that would trigger the stress response again. And now, I don't know about everybody else, but I would think, oh, well, you, you did it. You fell off the wagon, so you better just go ahead. The whole day shot. You know, you had a donut. I don't know why I did this. Like donuts <laughs> are mythical. You had a mythical donut for breakfast. Well, you may as well have whatever you want for the rest of the day because you've blown it today. I would just cycle out over and over. And the only part that ever felt good was when I was actually eating. Mm -hmm. But the second that I finished the thing, it would trigger me again. And it was just this really awful loop. And for me, it was never just one day. It was like, well, the next day too. Well, it's the weekend, so I'll just do the whole weekend. Now it's the week. Well, it's, it's summertime or it's Christmas time. Or there was always a reason that I could find to keep emotionally eating and never find a solution for how to make myself feel better in a way that didn't involve food. Mm. And what I understand now that I didn't even have a framework for them is that nothing outside yourself is ever going to satisfy you. Nothing out. It's, we think that it's external. It's never external. The answers are never external. It's always here. It is never going to be food. It's never going to be the margarita. It's never going to be sex. It's never going to be porn. It's never going to be drugs. It's never going to be any of the things that you are reaching for. It's never going to be your shopping habit or going out with your friends. There are things that we can do that make us feel good. They're never going to be the solution. The solution is always internal work and it sucks because it's hard. But that emotional eating was a spiral that just kept going and going and going. And I had for most of my adult life. And it was a slow unraveling 
I think those, those things that we've had since childhood, they don't go away quickly or easily and they pop up again and you'll have times of stress and then, oh my God, we're still here. How did mm -hmm. I end up in the kitchen at one o'clock in the morning eating like I used to 10 years ago? So um, for me, it was a lot of understanding why, but more than anything else, it was doing work internally so that I understood that I didn't need to reach for something externally to solve that problem. Dude, this is so powerful. It's something that I've really struggled with a lot and so many women have in that spiral, like you said, of like, well, I may as well have some more. And when I think about the topic of being resilient, being a freaking badass, keep getting up, keep going for that dream, go for that goal, business relationship, whatever that may be, it really comes back to like, what are the behaviors that you have? What are the things that trigger you? What is the, um, how do you emotionally soothe is a big one. Yes. And so when I think about emotionally soothing, for me, so much of my hormones are involved in being able to emotionally soothe. Because if I'm, um, you know, upset or sad, I go, okay, well, where is it maybe in my cycle? Where am I? Have I eaten? Right. right. And so I start to break down these elements and so, as I start to look more and more into my hormones as being an, an impact on how I show up every day, I start to look at how the food is the thing that is impacting my hormones that then impacts yep. how I feel about myself to either show up or not. Yep. And so when I heard you talk about this emotional eating, when I thought through how many of us women deal with emotional eating, I think of if we can solve this or if we can gain strength in when it comes to food, how we deal with our emotions in those moments, I think we're, it's easier to then get back up. Yeah. Because to your point, you fall, now you stuffed your face with Oreos, cookies and right. donuts. The very next day, you feel shitty about you yourself. You feel not just emotionally, but physically yes. you feel bad. And the single greatest thing, like everyone write it down, open your phone, get it on Amazon, the book Intuitive Eating. Hmm. Intuitive Eating is not, that book is not at all what I thought it was about. Like I literally thought intuitive eating was like you pick up like a watermelon at the grocery store and you're like, hmm, yes. <laughs> this is gonna feel real good in my body. <laughs> like I really did. And I was like, what a beautiful, like someday I'll reach the level of nirvana or whatever where I'm spiritual enough where I know if this like kiwi is gonna make me sick or not. That's what I thought it was. And I was talking, I, hormones a big thing for me on the show as well. And I, I, it's something I've learned so much about. It has literally changed my life mm -hmm. to understand my hormones and my cycle. And I had this guest on and we were talking about food and I said, she was talking about intuitive eating. And I was like, where can, if people want to learn more about this, where can, and she was like, you read the book, Intuitive Eating. I was like, there's a book? I had no <laughs> idea. It is a game changer. And it is the opposite of every piece of advice you have ever heard about food, ever. And I was like, there is no way this works. And it, I know I say things are life-changing a lot, but it is literally life-changing. It's basically like these 10 different principles to change your attitude around food. But the two biggest ones that I remember, or at least that were very powerful for me, is that you, number one, you honor your hunger. Yeah, explain you eat what do you mean? When you are hungry. That is honestly everyone at home, including me, is like, Rach, what do you mean you eat when you're hungry? You That's eat not what we're taught when as women. You're hungry <laughs> and 
that most women have ignored their hunger for so long, they don't actually even know when they are hungry. You're like, whoa, I'm lightheaded. Whoa, it's hard to focus. Whoa, it's all of these things. I'm irritable. I'm this. And it's like, oh, I haven't eaten in six hours because I've been working or I've been taking care of these kids or going to school or doing whatever. So the first is that you honor your hunger, that you teach your body that when you are hung when it is hungry, you will feed it. Because right now, most of us, our body does not trust us to actually give us food. And if you are someone who struggles with emotional eating or binge eating, it's often the psychological response of your body going, I don't freaking know when you're going to feed me again. Mm. So I'm going to go as hard as I can, as fast as I can in this moment, because there's a chance that tomorrow you're going to wake up and not eat until 5 p.m. again. So the first one was really powerful for me was honor your hunger. And the second one this is so wild and I know it seems untrue, but I swear every woman I know who I've made read this book is like, this shit's crazy. There's no bad food. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's no bad food. That psychological, there's no bad food is unbelievable. It seems so stupid because I would have told you like, Oh, I, of course, of course, because like everything in moderation and I eat really healthy all the time. So then if I have bread or like whatever, um, this idea that you really, truly don't believe that any food is bad. If you take that psychology away, there's this really crazy thing that was happening that I didn't even know. They talk about it in the book. I didn't even realize I had the psychology that like having bad food is like a little naughty. You're like being a bad girl. Mm -hmm. You're like, these people don't understand me. I'm gonna go eat this cake. Like, I deserve this. I get, you do things in secret. You don't want anyone to see. It's like rebelling. Mm -hmm. So you eat this food because you're eating like bad food. Yeah, and, don't you call it, I heard you call it something like eating in defiance? Yeah, you're just like, I, you know, I can't have this or I can't do that. So you're like, screw it. Like, I'm just gonna go and do all of these things. And then they found in studies that people end up taking in way more than they would have if they were just like, oh, I want some cake. That what they found is that people would have like three bites and then be satisfied and satiated and move on. But because you think it's bad, you're telling yourself, I'm never gonna get this again. You make up this belief mm -hmm. that like, it's just this one time. I'm just gonna be at this buffet one time. I'm never gonna do this again. And you go extra crazy. And if you just believe that there wasn't bad food and that you would always feed yourself when you were hungry, you would just make way smarter choices. And for me, when I read this, I was like, I'm gonna try this because I just wanna experiment and see if it works, but it doesn't even matter because I don't believe any food is bad. Literally that day I go into the kitchen and in like what popped in my head was, I wanted a turkey sandwich. I don't eat a sandwich on Tuesday for lunch. I'm like, I have greens and lean protein. Like that's what I eat all the time. This is my, and so I was like, oh no. And I went to go make a salad and I was like, oh my God, that's a bad, f I, I'm not eating the thing my body is craving because in my brain, it's like a bad food or it's like a weekend food or mm. it's something I would eat if I was gonna go do a long run or mm. I was like, oh, I do this, I totally do this. It was so crazy. So it was a really hard place to get to, to accept that there wasn't bad food. But the caveat I will add is that there, there isn't bad food, but there is food that is incompatible with my body. 
So I had to kind of swing in the other direction. So I was like, okay, all foods are good. I'm gonna eat when I'm hungry. And then I started eating a lot of bread. This is how I got to this place where one day I was like, you're feeling like crap, whatever. And I was like, wait, no, but I'm trying to know bad foods. And then I thought, okay, but actually you want to honor and take care of your body. You want to be as healthy as possible for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Then you also have to understand that gluten and bread isn't bad, but it could be hurtful to you. Well, it, oh God, I have so much to unpack here. I know, sorry, Dude, I just no, like no, no, went no, on no, a please don't, No, I love this because, so A, it's the dopamine rush, right? right. Where you're like, it's naughty, I'm not yes. supposed to be doing it. So you yes. get this freaking rush. Tom and I used to do exactly the same thing yeah. and we would tea, do it together. So now it was like double the freaking whammy. And mm -hmm. you know, where we would both like be very restricted during the week. And, you know, I've heard you talk about even like bodybuilders. It's the same right. thing. Like we were surrounded, as we were building Quest, we were surrounded by bodybuilders. Right. And women with just wicked bodies. And so when I say wicked, amazing, right? Yeah. So, I'm, so you're seeing these people, you're like, oh my God, I, you know, I want to look as good as them. And so they have a behavior of the way they eat. Knowing you should eat healthy is one thing. You know, on a Monday after you've had a weekend of utter food debauchery but actually doing it day after day after day in and out every single day let's be real is freaking a lot harder especially when it's hard to find high quality animal proteins that aren't over processed or pumped with hormones and other harmful ingredients that cause freaking chaos to your body your hormones and yep your brain. And that's why I utterly recommend to anyone that will possibly listen that you source your meats and seafood from my favorite brand where unbelievable high quality is guaranteed. And that's my mate, ButcherBox. I literally am obsessed with them guys and I eat their food every single day. Hence why I just keep a box in my kitchen. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers the high quality meats and seafood directly to your door. So if you're freaking busy, you don't have to waste time. You can choose from different cuts of 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood with no added hormones or antibiotics ever, ever, ever. Now, ButcherBox makes it so easy to eat better with the best meats and seafood on the planet that you can actually trust, just like I do. So sign up right now at butcherbox.com slash W-O-I and get our special deal right now. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast or steak tips free in every order for an entire year. So sign up today at butcherbox.com slash W-O-I for Women of Impact and use code W-O-I to choose your free for a year offer. Plus you get $20 off your first order right now. Go over, you won't regret it. If you're working damn hard to kick ass and be unfreaking stoppable, there's one thing I know for a fact that you need to actually show up confident and ready for anything. And that's sleep. That's why I want to introduce you to the secret to better sleep, Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth's luxury bedding products are crafted with temperature regulating technology so you're not waking up covered in sweat and then shivering 10 minutes later. And they use super soft and breathable materials that literally feel like a cloud on your skin. I'm officially obsessed 
They are literally the softest sheets I've ever felt, and so I definitely would recommend giving Cozy Earth a try. Treat yourself right now to ultimate comfort with Cozy Earth bedding and make your sleep a priority so that you can actually show up every day with confidence and kick ass. Click the link below or head over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code LISA to save an exclusive 35% off right now. Upgrade your nights, transform your days with Cozy Earth. And that behavior, you're like, oh, it's six times a day. See, I'm not starving myself. Right. I'm eating six times a day. Right. But what I never put together is, but I told myself, okay, your next meal is at two o'clock. If I was starving at one or one. 45, right. I would sit there staring at the freaking clock until two o'clock yep. came. Um, and so the ideas, the, the, the thoughts around food, how we handle them is so powerful. And to your point about what's good and bad, we label them clean and, you know, and bad foods. In labeling them, right, we're embodying that feeling so that when we eat it, we're like, oh, this is bad. It's bringing you dopamine rush right. or it's clean. It's giving you that kind of that little pat on the back. Right. See, you said you could be right. clean and you right. are. But where's that line between, no, this actually is good for you and you're, you're, it's doing great, you're feeling great and now you're pushing it too far. You've gone over the edge. And for Tom and I, I'll share, I don't know if we've told you this story before, but we were doing, we, we just went extreme. So it started off, it was great. Wait, we were, you guys went extreme? I know, can you believe That's that? That's crazy. <laughs> So we were, we were doing it. We both had our, you know, habits. We were loving it. We were noticing the difference. Neither of us were really like feeling the burn. It wasn't really bad. And then it just got too much where we were becoming more restrictive because the quote unquote cheat days felt even more special. Right. Till one day I wake up. It's 11, it's, oh God, I think it must've been like 10.30 in the morning or something. I wake up and Tom's not here. And I'm like, where's my husband gone? So I'm looking and him and my brother was my brother was staying over and I'm like, where's everyone gone? So I call him, I'm like, babe, where did you go? Because I'm outside the cheesecake factory waiting for it to open. Alright, that's a sign that maybe you've taken your cheat days too far. A little far. too far. Right. Wait, literally, so he was standing out there because they were ordering fries, pizza, cheesecake. Right. Before it even opened, they right. were standing outside. So that's where you go. Now here's the funny thing. It, in the moment, it felt so special. It felt like Christmas was here. And so taking away that dopamine rush um, can almost leave you feeling like, oh, but what are we gonna clutch onto for these moments of celebration? Right. And for us, it was to focus on the detrimental, or at least for me, the detrimental of the restriction of what it was doing to us and why it was bad. Right. So identifying that was big for us. Um, and then removing the word bad right and I just got back from England like two months ago I've now been on this health journey you know for six years or whatever and my mom as I said she was grew up she was borderline anorexic as an adult she was morbidly obese mm. so I saw her during my teenage years swing and I think it was just that moment of I'm not gonna, you know, deprive myself of food anymore. Right. And what's the point in a way? And so this mechanism of going from one to the other, um, I've heard a, quite a few women that yeah. have done that. So she went into morbidly obese and then she over time started to 
listened to my and Tom's content as we started to do impact theory. And so she developed a growth mindset, lost like 120 pounds awesome. and stopped using excuses and would literally walk up and down a grocery aisle. If it was raining, that was her way of losing her weight. Nice. Now, the problem is, though, now she's flipped with the mindset of I don't mm. want to go back. Right. And so when I was in England two months ago, she said, oh, I'm, I don't want to be... Because I said, oh, mum, do you want whatever? I can't remember what I was offering her. She was, no, I don't want to be naughty. And so in that moment, I actually paused and I was like, look, I, for my own sake, with you using that word naughty or bad around me... Right. ...is now actually reinforcing something that I'm trying to unwind. Right. And so I was just very transparent with my mum about me trying to change this word, mm -hmm. change the way that I see food, and being honest with the people around you because that also, the people around you, if they're using words, if they're saying, oh my God, you're eating that, Rachel? Right. I didn't realize you ate sandwiches, Rachel. Right. Right. right, And now it's like, now I've accidentally put guilt on you. I've accidentally passed my perception of food onto you. Right, right. and here's the thing too, is like, how often is the way we're perceiving these things even our narrative? Mm -hmm. If you're raised up in something, you don't know that there's, you don't know if it's yours, you don't know if it's your mom, you don't know if it's your great grandma and it's just sort of been carried down generation to generation and now you've got this stuff. And I think it comes back to the beginning of this conversation about resilience or learning to trust yourself is we develop these sort of intense rituals or these intense ways of existing because we're like, well, I don't want to go back. Even her swinging the other direction is, it's like a middle finger to what was. Yeah. And there is, um, spiritually, if you're looking at different ailments and things in the body, putting on weight, like a, putting on a, a significant amount of weight or gaining weight is linked to a need for protection. And it's like, if I think of every time in my life where I have gained a significant amount of weight, I can look and think, yeah, emotionally, I felt unsafe. And so I felt like I needed to protect myself, even thinking of like being pregnant for the first time and being so unsure and like, I've got to protect this baby and keep it safe. Like it creates literally a, a, a space between us and the outside world. It's, it's making us feel safe, especially if there was something about past behavior where you were like, I don't want to be that woman anymore, so I'll go way hard in this direction. Mm. And then there's this fear, once you lose the weight or once you get healthy, you have this terrifying fear that you're going to backslide or you're going to go back in that direction or repeat past mistakes. And this goes back to the idea that if we just gave ourselves grace and if we just realized that we are human and we will make mistakes. But that will get back up and go again. If we trusted that we would go again more than we trusted that we would fail, <laughs> anything would be possible. We Not only would we get up quicker, but we'd go faster. We'd move further. We'd have more growth. We'd have more. Because we'd just be like, oh, yeah, that sucked. That was a moment in time where I messed that thing up. But look, I've learned and I've grown and I won't do it again. Mm. I won't make that mistake again because I've learned. And not to say I won't make another one, but I at least know how to navigate around that thing. It's, you know, if we have evolved into a new place, right? Like you got healthy or you built the business or you have the relationship and you're like, I'm in this place. But you're so terrified that it's going to be taken away. 
you haven't actually evolved. Your geography has changed. Your psychology is the same. You are the same person who was in that place. You're just in a new location physically, but mentally you are still that woman. You are still that girl. You are still that man. And because you still have that mindset, you do run the risk that you'll go back there, right? So it's like, if we can make one change, but not fundamentally have everything be different, we're destined to keep repeating really big past mistakes. I mean, I think that's so powerful and so common where we will um, go towards something and then see, I'm here now, so I'm no longer that person, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like, are you running away, right? Like, are you trying to go in another direction to escape your past? Right. Or are you going through a, a direction as an evolution? And I think it's so hard to do that evolution where you're looking back and you're assessing who you are, you're assessing where you want to go, projecting forward. And I've actually heard you say, you you like came out of, I think you said you came out of your mum's womb thinking about your future. Right, right. Um, so that is so clearly ingrained in you, yeah. right? So what about the people where it's not ingrained? That may be where they're like, okay, Rach, I really hear what you're saying. I want to do all these things. I feel like I'm making the steps forward. But even though I'm making the step, the fear is still there. So I hear what you're saying. Maybe you haven't addressed it yet. Right. But how do you then start to and keep moving forward? Or are you saying you have to stop? Understand that your fear is part of the process understand that mistakes are part of the process. Mm -hmm. Understand, like if you accepted that you would slip up, whatever it is, if you accepted that you would slip up, if you accepted that you've been working so hard on your temper, but there's just that one day where you had a really hard day at work and you're hormonal and you didn't eat in time and you scream at your kids. You can accept that this is part of your journey, right? And this happened and in accepting it, go like, okay, what made this happen? What were the steps that got me here? How mm. could I navigate around? I could pack a snack in my bag. Like, I'm practical. If I do something like that and I, okay, how could, I could have eaten earlier. I could have, you know, told my oldest son that I was running late and if he could, you know, uh, get the little kids a snack so that when I walked in the door, they were, I'm just making something right. up, right? Like, I could have taken steps to better prepare everything so I would not get to that place. If I look back historically and see, I can figure out the steps to do it better next time because I accept that that's part of my journey. Or I can feel crazy shame about it. I can cope because of it. I can ignore it. And when I ignore it, nothing gets better and nothing gets fixed. Mm. Like if you can't face it, you can't fix it. So a willingness to understand that this is part of your journey and that in accepting the journey, you'll be given the answers to not make the same mistakes twice. That's the power. That's the power. But if you believe that you have to be perfect, if you believe that you get one shot in this lifetime and if you mess up that shot, you're never getting another one, that's gonna keep you from doing anything. And that's gonna make you believe that when you do fall, which is human, that you should just stay there. Mm. You should just die. You should just like roll back to wherever you were. You're right. You're never going to break out of this, your hometown. You're never going to evolve past where your parents are. You're never going to. If we believe that we have one chance and we might not even get that chance, but that we have to live perfectly, of course, that's going to keep us from doing anything. And that's going to make you have intense fear about getting it wrong.
as you were talking, there was a weird question that came to mind. I was like, I just have to ask yeah. you. I don't even know why I need to ask you. Do you believe in bad luck or good luck or luck, I guess? What a good question. No, I don't believe in either, to be honest. My favorite quote ever is from Oprah, obviously. There's no such thing as luck. There's only preparation meeting opportunity at a moment in time. And yeah, I don't, I don't think that some people are inherently lucky. I don't believe some people have bad luck or have been cursed. I think that um, life gives all of us both, right? It gives us these beautiful moments where you're like, where did this parking spot come from? Where did this surprise happen? How did this connection come to be? Like all of these things are lining up. And then we also all have those moments where how on earth did I, you know, break that vase that I love so much? How on earth did I back into this person on a day that I had a job interview and now my car's ruined and I'm late to the interview and like shit happens. Good shit happens, bad shit happens. I believe that whatever you focus on, you create more of. And certainly there are times where stuff shows up in my life that sucks and is hard and is bad. And I don't think we manifest those things. I just think life's shitty sometimes. But for the most part, I feel like if you're looking for goodness, that's what you're going to find. If you believe people are inherently good, you're going to run into good people. If you, you know, show up in L.A. and you're like, oh, everyone in L.A. is a jerk and people are rude and whatever. And I'm like, no, I've had the loveliest day. I'm at like the coffee shop. Everyone's so nice. I was talking to Noelle out front earlier. Like, I just had the best day. The people on the flight here were amazing. Like, because that's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Certainly the opposite is true, too. But what you look for, you find. So again, this is why I think it's so powerful to review your past, is if I ask anybody to think of five times in their life where they had really bad luck, they could find it. And if I ask anybody to think of five times in their life where something felt divine, felt like guidance, felt like you were in the right place at the right time and you met your partner, you were in the right place at the right time, you got that job offer, you got to meet this amazing person, those simple things, those are also true. And it's just, that's, I mean, you're a science person, right? This is like the law of attraction. This is, um, oh God, I, my brain's not firing. What's it called? Um, it's a science Love field about energy and we create energy. Oh my God, please do not put this part in. Um, so actually, can we leave this part in? Okay. Because I want to talk about. Right. It's going to come to me though. What is it? This I don't even know what you're talking about, okay, to be honest. See, you keep talking and I'm going to... All right. I'll keep talking while you're trying to think about it. But I really want to talk about, as we're talking about food, health, hormones, yes. being a freaking badass, showing up, being resilient, resilient. One of the things that we were talking about before we started rolling right. is how scarily often... I think, or you were saying yourself, and then I was, I was chiming in like me too, but like the brain fog, the yeah. forgetfulness. Yeah. And dude, I don't know if you find this, it knocks my self-esteem for a loop. Oh, there's nothing I hate more for myself than being low energy. Literally, nothing. And I know why. We can go back to an earlier conversation. Um, my, I had a lot of depression in my family. And so a lot of memories of my childhood is my mom in bed mm -hmm. with severe depression. And that was not something she could control. But as a little girl, that 
most of my childhood that put me into situations that I shouldn't have been in at such a young age. Mm -hmm. And so I have sadness about that, resentment about that, and fear about that. And so whenever I start to get low energy, there's something in the back of my head that's like, you're getting depressed, which is like my greatest oh. fear. Yeah. Yeah. So the brain fog does like a whole bigger thing on me for so sure. So it attaches to the emotion. Oh my God, totally. So for me, I have gone on a journey for the last year and a half, two years, where something was off. Something was not right. Something was off. Terrible brain fog. Really hard time focusing. Unmotivated. Um, extreme mood swings. I didn't really understand what was happening at the time, but I was having extreme mood swings, really bad periods, bad cramps, bad PMS, bloating, all these things. And I try and figure out everything. I have blood tests done. I have brain scans done. I do therapy. I, I work so hard on myself. And so to have something that I felt like I couldn't get on the other side of, I was like, I do not know what's going on. So in all of this work, Thank God. Um, I, I was having brain scans done by Dr. Amen, and there was one little thing, and he was like, has anyone told you you might be estrogen dominant? And I was like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. He's like, let's have some blood work done, and there's a doctor in my practice I want you to talk to about this thing. So he introduced me to a woman named Dr. Julie Brush, who is a literal lifesaver. Like, I would make out with her if she would let me. Um, <laughs> she looked at my stuff and she's like, I will do the blood test, but I don't even, I, I know based on what I'm looking at, you have way higher estrogen than you have progesterone, which if you, I don't know if you've mm -hmm. studied hormones, makes you feel crazy, makes everything out of whack, makes everything imbalanced, whatever. And I'm talking to her and I'm like, she's naming this stuff. And when Dr. Amon said to me, I think you might have estrogen dominance, I went and Googled symptoms and I started bawling because I never think that there's like an actual medical reason why I'm not performing well. This is probably my toxic trait, my fatal flaw. I always think my mental game is not strong enough. My mindset isn't right. It's, it's a bad habit of mine that I never think something's wrong with my body. I always think something's wrong with my mind. A lot of mental illness in my family and it's a big fear of mine to develop those traits. So I always think it's that. So he tells me, I look at the stuff, I'm like, oh my God, this is it. Um, I start working with Dr. Brush, really holistic, simple things. There's um, seeds and oil cycling. I don't know if you know about that. So um, it's a really simple protocol that helps your body to balance its hormones. So during the first part of my cycle, I have, um, let's see, either flaxseed or pumpkin seeds. And it's random, literally seeds and oil. So flaxseed or pumpkin seed and omega-3s. During the second part of my cycle, I have either sunflower or sesame, and I have evening primrose oil. There's stuff in both of those that give your body what it needs in the time before it needs it. So the two mm. weeks before you're going to need that, mm. you're getting the seeds that are sort of helping your body get those building blocks to keep everything even. So I spent several months balancing my cycle, changed my life. I was having the craziest mood swings, and all of a sudden I was just like, balanced and normal um, and I remember I'll just I've talked about this publicly so just truthfully she did tell me when I started this process she was like be careful when you do this it's going to make you really fertile 
Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. And then I got pregnant. And um, it was like, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but um, we were not having unprotected sex. Like, it was wild. Like, it was so shocking. It was so crazy. Um, and it was such an emotional roller coaster. And I came to terms with, like, oh my God, I'm gonna have a fifth child. Like, this is insane. Like, I don't, but I also, I, my kids are the best thing in my life. So I was like, all right, we're just gonna make that. We're just add another baby in here. We're just gonna make this work. And like, I was so, cause that's my nature. I was just was so excited about, okay, this is the crazy way that life's going now. And this is what it's gonna be. Um, and then when I was three months pregnant, the baby died. Um, and that was so horrible. Like, I feel like I will be 90 years old and I'll still be holding space for that. Like, it was so, I had never had a miscarriage before and um, I, I just have so much empathy and love for anybody who goes through that because I can't explain it's just like I feel like it's one of those things if you haven't experienced it in that way you don't it was just so horrible and um I had gone for a routine ultrasound and oh it was so horrible Lisa like I had had I have four kids my daughter's adopted so I had had three pregnancies so I know what a normal situation is supposed to be and she was looking at the baby and my boyfriend was with me and it was the first time he hadn't been in an ultrasound before and he doesn't have kids and like all of it so it was like this huge moment and she said to the nurse oh can you shut the lights off I'm having trouble seeing the screen and I was like I've never heard that in ever in an ultrasound I was like what and she just like wasn't saying anything oh it's so horrible and she was like, oh, honey, there's no heartbeat. And I just couldn't even understand what she just said to me. Like, I just, I couldn't, I was in such shock. And it was, then it was like, and we don't know how long there hasn't been a heartbeat. And your body, this could really hurt you. And so we have to make a decision about, like, basically right now what we're going to do and how it Oh, it was so horrible. And uh, I just, I couldn't, any of it. I just couldn't. It was, ugh. Um, and then I was also in the grief trying to, because I believe everything is connected and we're being led and guided. And I couldn't, I cannot understand. This is like the thing in my life that I'm like, I don't understand why this happened. Why would I accidentally get pregnant while using condoms? Why would I get to the place where I was excited about the baby only to lose the baby? Like, why? Why? And I don't have an answer. And I don't know that I'll ever have an answer. But I spent all of these months trying to get my hormones back 
And I remember I had an appointment with Dr. Brush in March, and I remember telling her, like, oh, my God, I feel so good. Like, it's taking me a really long time, but I, like, I'm I just my body felt, like, I felt clear in my head and my heart. I wasn't crying every day. I wasn't, you know, I was feeling really good. And then in April, I, I have not said this publicly, um, I had a panic attack for the first time ever in my life. Whoa. Like bad, bad. I didn't even know it was happening because I had never had a panic attack before. I had anxiety for sure. Have you ever had a panic attack? No. This is a whole different, this is crazy. So I was at um, a Paul McCartney concert, like my dream, dream. I, I thought you were gonna say some super stressful, no, like my dream moment. Freaking Paul McCartney amazing like the video Kes had taken pictures of me that night I'm just like singing Blackbird and crying and like living my best life and just so having the best time had to pee go out of the concert to go to the bathroom came back in and as soon as I walked back in I was like man they it must be the second half of the show like the the lights are so much brighter. The lights are really bright. And I, I got back to my seat and I just kept thinking, the lights are so bright and God, the sound, they turned the volume up. The, the volume, this is weird. And I'm just sitting there going, wow, like God, it's, this song is not loud, but I'm feeling, and then I started to get hot. And I'm like, this is really, I'm getting hot. And I, I just stood there for a few minutes. I'm like trying, cause I didn't know what was happening to me. So I'm like, there's so many people here. There's so many people. And I tend to be a bit claustrophobic anyway. But, and I thought, okay, you haven't been to concerts, COVID, like maybe this is, you had all these years with no, no crowds and now you're in a crowd and that's making you feel weird. So I was like, this is weird. And Kez looked over at me and he was like, are you okay? I'm like, and this Paul McCartney, like we both wanted to see this so badly. And the concert was nowhere near over, so I don't want to ruin it for him. Mm -hmm. So for me to say, I was like, no, I'm not okay. And he's like, okay, all right, let's let's go. Because it was so dark, he's like, he couldn't see me, whatever. So we walk out, we're on the floor, we walk out, and we just make it into like, ju literally right outside of the arena. Like we're in front of the concession stand. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm dying. My body is shutting down. I'm sweating profusely. My heart is pounding. I have tunnel vision. I can't walk. I can't do anything. And okay, I want you to imagine this. I'm at a concert. Imagine how big a Paul McCartney concert is. Your girl gets directly in front of the concession stand right outside, everybody around me. And I lay down on the floor. First of all, I take my shoes off because why? I don't know. I, my feet were hot and that felt like the right choice for me. Yeah. Sweating through my clothes, shoes off, laying in the floor like a, like a chalk outline of a murder scene. And I'm pressing my face. You don't know this, but I'm like super grossed out by like public places. Oh, I, I am pressing my face against the dirty concrete while 200 people are in line trying to buy a margarita and looking at me thinking, this girl's drunk off her ass. Why? This and is about I to say. Yeah, I yeah. was not drinking. I was like freaking Shit. out. It was horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Had no idea what was happening. I lived. Yay. It was a whole thing. Um, but I was like, what the hell just happened? And the next day I'm like, am I stressed? Like I'm trying to unpack, mm -hmm. am I stressed? Cause sometimes I'll just push myself really hard and I won't know. And I'm like, 
no, literally nothing is happening. Like, I don't, I'm like, is this stuff from losing the baby? Am I like processing now? I could not figure out what's going on. Next month rolls by. I get really intense anxiety around my period. I'm like, whatever. I've had anxiety in the past. I'll be fine. Next month rolls around really intense, like anxiety gets really bad. For the first time in years, I'm taking holy basil, which is an adaptogen to help calm me down. Don't ask why I'm so dumb and it takes me so long to figure stuff out. So this last period, I've since the beginning of the year, since I lost the baby, really heavy, heavy, heavy periods where I, I'm literally saying like, how do you bleed this much and not die? Like, this is crazy. And so this last period, um, I knew that I was getting bad anxiety around my period. And so that month or this month, for the first time ever, I in advance took holy basil Mm. to just keep the anxiety at bay. And it did. But in its place, I felt the worst depression that I have felt since I had postpartum depression with my son. And I don't get depressed. I might have intense anxiety and apparently panic attacks, but I don't, depression is not something that I really have experienced except that one time. And I was really low, like so low that I was like, something's wrong. This is something's wrong. Not just like I'm sad and I'm low, but Mm -hmm. something's wrong with my body. And that was in the morning. By the afternoon, I was fine. And I was like, this is hormones. This is hormones. So I send a note to Dr. Brush, who takes like, it takes like two months to get an appointment with her. And I'm like, hey, I, I, I need to get an appointment with you. Like, I need to do a follow-up. And because I always get the parking spot, I always, her assistant calls back. It's like, this is so crazy. We had a cancellation today for today at 3.30. Can you? I'm like, yes, I can. Thank you, spirit guides. <laughs> and I get on the phone with her and I'm like, Dr. Brush. We fixed my hormone cycle at the beginning of my cycle, but now the, the backside of my cycle, something's wrong. And she's like, okay, that doesn't make sense, but tell me what you're feeling. So I walk her through, and she's like, well, um, well you are naturally anemic. And I, I ha- I, my family runs my family to be anemic yeah. and to have low blood pressure. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and you just told me that for four months in a row, after losing a child, You've been experiencing really heavy bleeding. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. She's like, do you know what happens when you get severely anemic? And I was like, no. She's like, oh, okay. So um, it will express itself in every way that you just said. You're going to have intense fatigue. You're going to feel brain fog. Because iron is how the oxygen gets to your brain through your blood, mm-hmm. if you're not getting oxygen to your brain, it's going to make everything feel low. It's going to make you feel depressed. It's why you're having a panic attack. It's why you're all of these things. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm thinking I'm, I'm like, I'm going crazy. I'm having all these, I'm, it never occurs to me that my body is experiencing something, which by the way, is very easily remedied. Iron, just take some iron pills. You're going to be fine, Rach. But it's gotten so low at this point that the reason that I'm struggling to find words with you and the reason that I'm like, I, I am, I feel almost like high. Mm. I feel like it's kind of a nice place to be because I'm just like super chill. But my brain is not 
working the way that it should because everything is so low. So it'll take a while to get iron stores back up in my body, but I'm anemic right now. And the reason I tell that story and, and try and be really honest about my health stuff is that I think so often women don't understand that it's something that there's actually a solution for, mm. and so they just suffer with it. Um, there's incredible books on our cycles, on our hormones. My favorite is a book called Period Power. Uh, but a smart doctor would refer to your cycle as your fifth vital sign. Mm -hmm. So for women, whatever is happening with you hormonally is a sign of what's going on with you holistically. If you're having intense cramps, if you're having heavy bleeding, if you're not bleeding at all, if you're getting headaches, all of those things are a sign that something's wrong. Usually, I'm gonna make a sweeping generalization and say that usually it's the result of stress hormones, not sex hormones. But the stress hormones are in our body so much that it throws off the sex hormones. But if you think this is just how I am, this is just how I'm wired, this is just what happens to women, we get really bad PMS, that's not true. It is absolutely not true. If you're experiencing really heavy, hard, painful symptoms, talk to a doctor, talk to a, a female doctor, not that men can be great too, but like talk to someone who specializes in that and ideally talk to a naturopath doctor who will give you tools and supplements and foods as medicine instead of trying to put you on a pill to mm -hmm. make you better. Um, so yeah, super anemic right now because I just, it didn't occur to me. I'm like, oh, I'm perimenopausal. I must be bleeding a lot and this is just my life. So I got myself into a pretty bad place because it didn't occur to me that it wasn't normal. So, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You even just, as you started the story though, I didn't want to interrupt you, but you used, you said something like, oh, I don't know, I must have been stupid to not have realized, it was something like that. And I literally wanted to be like, no, we all do it. Right. right? And you almost just ended like it. Right. We kind of, we beat ourselves up for like, I can't believe I was ignoring this for four right. months. And yet at the same time, we kind of know that A, we're getting misinformation. It's something like, because I'm so into interviewing doctors now about hormones because it's so freaking powerful to your yes. point. It's our superpower and we don't tap into yes. it. Um, it's something like you have to go to the doctor nine times to get an accurate diagnosis. Right. So now, I think to your point of like kind of what you just showcased is we still beat ourselves up though for not recognizing it sooner. But yep. sometimes maybe that's the process we need to go through, yeah. right? Maybe you need those five months of just utter freaking disaster right. where you're fainting. Maybe it took you to, right? It actually took you, in fact, let's be honest, right. it took you to fall on the floor at Paul right. McCartney's concert for you to go, maybe this is serious. Right, well, here's the thing, if we're being honest, I didn't take it seriously when that happened. Oh. I didn't. I waited until something happened that was my, like my fear. Ooh. So I had a panic attack, yeah. but I was like, okay, I had a panic attack, crazy. And I assumed that there was something in me that I needed to fix mentally that made that panic attack happen. It wasn't until I experienced depression, which is my fear, that I actually did something. And this is like you saying earlier, you know, how do you get to those moments where you will stop making excuses or whatever? You have a catalyst that is so strong that you are like, I am never going back there. Thinking that I was developing like something that I'm afraid of exposing my kids to was my nightmare. 
And I literally that day was like, this is not okay. I got to call the doctor. Why didn't I call the doctor four months before? Because I'm like, oh, you know, this happens. This is just me. Just me. I can do it. I can figure it out. Like, it's crazy. This is crazy. And I do this for a living. Like, I try and figure this stuff out for a living. I interview experts for a living. Like, this is what I'm doing. So if I'm having these problems, it's got to mean that if you don't get to sit down with doctors and talk to them, if you don't have, if you're not reading five books a week, if you're not doing, then you're for sure going to think that you have something that's just your lot in life, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just unlucky. This is just the way we are. This is what it is forever. So I just hope that if we keep talking about it, I cannot tell you thousands of emails and DMs since I started talking about my hormone stuff where women are like, this is my story. Yeah. I didn't used to be this bitchy. I didn't used to have these mood swings. I didn't used to have this brain fog. But we tell ourselves like, oh, it's getting, it's, I'm getting older. Age. Yeah, I'm yeah. aging, <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm experiencing this. It's just not true. Well, did you know actually also, I love this topic by the way, because I really want so many people to hear the power of taking care of your hormones, the power oh. of taking care of your health. And to your point, I've only really been digging into it in let, let's say the last year and a half, like seriously. Right. And now I'm just like obsessed. And so that's why I'm so glad you were able to be on it. Thank you so much for being so transparent yeah. because every so often like I'll have brain fog and then that makes me feel badly about myself and that knocks my confidence and then that voice in my head that's negative. See, see Lisa, that's why I told you you shouldn't get in front of the camera because you're going to embarrass yourself, right? And it becomes this one freaking thing. Right. Let's say I haven't eaten and I haven't slept and so now I'm impacting my hormones. Right. My hormones then impact my brain. My brain then impacts how I feel about myself and you can see why we all get into these really vicious cycles mm -hmm. of it being maybe it's about us maybe we're no good maybe it's our body just like being weak and so I had a doctor on recently that told me that women suffer I think it's like one in three women are most likely going to get Alzheimer's but it's like one in ten for men mm. um, and so again going to well, what is that saying like what are our hormones how are our hormones over time impacting how we think, how we, uh, our memory. Yep. And so if we can just go like, hey, let's just take ownership here. Let's really do the research. Let's figure it out. Let's not blame ourselves, not say, well, it's just me. Let's not, let's stop ignoring. Let's stop gaslighting. Right? Right. Doctors gaslighting us again, right. like you said earlier. If we can all start to shift that mindset and shift how we talk about things, could you imagine how many more people would be resilient like you? Well, if you knew that it wasn't normal, you would feel empowered to take steps that would heal you. Yes. Right? Yes. It's because we think that feeling badly, that having those cramps, that heavy periods, that no periods at all, we think that these things are normal. All of this stuff that we are made to believe is normal is not normal. And on a whole different tip, like how many of us get a period and are pissed? We're oh. mad at our body oh like, oh, I can't believe I'm on my period. Like now I got to do. Your body is literally doing what it's supposed to. Your body's being healthy. It's doing what it's supposed to do. But everything in you is hating the fact that it's happening. What do you think that does psychologically, emotionally? Like, oh, is your body literally cramping because you have this like angry energy about what's going on? And like, and I, you, what you said earlier, you were talking about empowering. That's it. 
when you actually understand that at each phase of your hormone cycle for, for a bleeder, for someone who menstruates, and not all menstruators are women, for someone who menstruates, um, every single part of your cycle has things that will sort of um, not be your favorite, but also has superpowers. If you think, oh, this is the week that I'm bleeding and that means that I'm not gonna have energy and I'm gonna be really crabby and like blah, 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 that's gonna make you feel a certain way. But if you think, if you go sort of back to ancient times and how, you know, Bedouin women would, you know, explain the process to their daughters, you would say, oh, this is the week where you're really centered, where you're really close to the earth, where you can hear things better because you slow down, where you're wiser, right? When, when you change the narrative of how we talk about these times and when you understand that there is a power in each part of your cycle, you feel empowered. Um, culturally, in different cultures, those that celebrate menstruation and recognize it as this time where women gain wisdom and that they become more powerful, those women end up being healthier. Those women end up having better relationships with their bodies. Um, there's, oh God, I can't even start. Can I, I just, just throw in one yes. thing? I know that we're like, so the Greeks, you're not allowed to go to church if you're on your period. Yes. You're not allowed to take communion because yes. it's considered dirty. Yeah, you're dirty. You want to talk about 100%. the message that you... Oh, it's, that is... I've actually studied this a lot. You're you picking really? a subject. Like, literally, I was at a coffee shop today. This is what I was studying. I can't even start talking about it because I'll go on forever. But culturally, most places you would find that. You would find this idea that you are dirty, that this is shameful, that this is wrong. Let's add in the fact that in many parts of the world, women and girls do not have access to products that actually can help make that process better. So um, they're, you know, oh God, I'll send you an article mm -hmm. and you'll freak out because it's just, it's crazy. Um, and the fact that period products are taxed as luxury goods in many states in what? this country. Yes. Luxury goods. Luxury goods. Oh it's so insane. Viagra's not. That's something that you don't get taxed on because it's medicine. But, but tampons, yes, give it, don't get me started. That being said, there are cultures where it's celebrated, where it's part, where you're oh, taught about right, your body, right, yeah. where you're taught that this is powerful. Um, if you look at indigenous people, oftentimes there's many different Indian tribes within North America that practice this um, and that are bringing back sort of the old ways of teaching girls about their bodies. And this is a time to be celebrated and we're doing a berry fast and this is our time to like that sort of consciousness and that narrative about the fact that your body is doing what it's meant to do and this makes you powerful and strong. Imagine how different we would all be if we weren't taught that this was ugly and shameful and gross and oh, men have to deal with it. Even think about the fact that it's called a period. What does that mean? Like it's a period. Oh, why? Because that was a period where men were inconvenienced by their women bleed. Like, do you know what I mean? It never even dawned oh, on me. I can't <laughs> even. This conversation could be four hours long, but it's crazy. We went on too long. It's not even maybe gonna make this no, episode. I love but it will. Go read Period Power. Uh, this is my two recommendations today. I'm an, I'm an author telling you to read other people's books. Um, intuitive Eating and Period Power, I think, would be wildly impactful. So for here's the, the thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It is so important 
that we talk about this stuff, yes. girl. Like it is, yes. it is that thing that once upon a time I wouldn't have ever. I was so right. shy, right. embarrassed. I'm not going to talk about people. I'm right. not going to talk about sex. Right. But when we talk very specifically, coming into this conversation, everything we've been laying out here is how the hell do you become resilient? How do you become stronger? Right. How the hell do you step in to that business, that relationship, yes. that friendship with? Um, confidence with the strength coming back getting yourself back up because it's not about if you fall we all fall it's yeah. how the hell you get right. back up and to ignore our hormones i think is a absolute disservice to everyone listening and, and watching because it's such a powerful you even said it's your first fifth um vital sign, vital sign. Mm -hmm. so thank you for sharing that girl yeah. we're gonna do round two then with hormones yes can i just say one thing Hells yeah I think ultimately all of this conversation really is about knowing yourself. It's about knowing yourself because if you know yourself, then you know what your um, intention is, you know your heart, you know your values, you know your why. And if you really truly know yourself and you mess up, you'll know that you were doing your best and that you'll do your best next time and you won't let other people speak in and change your truth because you know who you are and that means knowing yourself in every capacity that means knowing your past and your history that means knowing your body and how it works that means knowing where your limitations are where you need to work on things all of it and i think knowing yourself looks like loving yourself like you said like i'm my best friend and if you're your best friend then you're rooting for you to stand back up and go again. And that's what resilience is. It's a willingness to go again. And I think that the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And so even if you don't know how, if you're like, I, I don't even, it feels like so far from where I am to where I want to go, literally one step at a time. Today, maybe you just stand back up. Today, maybe you just take a shower. Today, maybe you just get out of bed. And maybe you can only be out of bed for an hour, but... You got out of bed today. Um, just little bits at a time and those little bits stack and they add up. And then you begin to build a history of being strong. Mm -hmm. And that's what you look at the next time that you feel weak. Mic drop, homie. Thank you. Seriously, honestly, I've loved this conversation. <laughs> I can't even believe how long we've gone for. I know, I can. We do this yeah. every time. But if anyone's in the USA, yes. you're doing oh, a I freaking talk. Oh, we got to plug this. So, so <laughs> I was like, shit, right. we didn't plug. Right. But girl, you're going to be on yes. tour. How can people find if they want to see you in real, in yes. real life? I yes. can't believe that we actually have to say that now. Yes, I know. But if they want to see so you in funny. real life, where can they go? How can they find where you're Thank touring? you for asking. Yes. Um, so I do these big women's conferences, which you have spoken at graciously, uh, that are three days and they're epic and they're amazing. But the piece of information I kept getting from the audience was they don't always have childcare. They can't get the time off work. They can't travel. You know, we do one conference, people have to travel to it. So that my intention in this was how could we bring it to them? Uh, so it's an experiment. I don't know. I saw you earlier. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. But um, yeah, coming to several different cities here in the U.S. starting this fall, you can go to rachtalklive.com. Um, and it's like a little mini two-hour conference. So get your girlfriends or boys can come too if they're down for some feminine energy. But it'll be the sort of magic of a conference, a chance to connect with like-minded people, which we know how powerful that is a chance to talk about your dreams and your aspirations in a place where no one will judge you. In fact, they'll hype you up for it. 
but also to just reconnect to this vision of yourself. Because I feel like so many of us have lost our way post-pandemic of like, wait, I had these ideas and these dreams and can I even aim at those anymore? Because if I aim at them and what if something else happens and we get knocked sideways? I just, I wanted to create a space where we could really tune into that again and feel empowered in that again. So ragetalklive.com, that is the reason I came here, but I'm terrible at remembering to plug stuff. So thank you. Of course, You're I get a good to go. friend. Thank you. All right, guys, guys, go check it out. Honestly, it's so, she's so fun. Her Your videos, Rach Talks, is just uh, hysterical, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Um, go check her out. Go check out her event. It's going to be freaking fire. And guys, if this episode did bring you value, please, please do share, subscribe, like, tell your homies about Women of Impact. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace. <laughs>